Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the ASU Sports Business Podcast. This episode is part of a series in collaboration with UNECA, the United Nations Economic Commission for Africa, as we look at how sport can support the inclusive implementation of the AFCFTA. The AFCFTA, which is the African Continental Free Trade Area, launched at the start of 2021 and is the largest single market in the world comprising of 54 member nations as Africa looks to continue its economic growth. So coming up in this episode, we shall focus on one of two research projects we are currently conducting with UNECA, which is on lessons learned from Qatar. Now the focus of this research is to use sport advocacy in Qatar as a benchmark for comparison to the member nations of the AFCFTA. And so if you'd like to receive a copy of this research, then make sure you are following us on social media, which is ASU Unified across all platforms, and also ensure that you have signed up to our newsletter and UNECA's newsletter so that you will be first to know once the projects are complete. And so to start off this podcast, we'll have an 18-minute segment in which we'll be having a conversation with David Luke, who is the coordinator at the ATPC, which is the African Trade Policy Centre at UNECA, the director at the commission. We'll be talking about the potential of the AFCFTA and his thoughts on the research so far. This will then be followed by a panel session with Dr. Daniel Kelly, who is the academic director at New York University and also the principal lead on the research projects we are working on, and Dr. Gerard Akindes, who is the adjunct faculty at University of Salford, Manchester and at Northwestern University, Qatar. Both of these gentlemen have a great experience of working in Qatar and Africa, so we'll provide a deep dive into how Qatar have used sports advocacy as a tool for development. So before we start, uh, please do like, share and subscribe if you haven't done so already. And um, we hope you enjoy. And so first up, we have our segment with David Luke. David Luke, thank you so much for your time and for being with us today. Uh, we really appreciate it. Um, so yeah, I guess let's just get straight into it. So the first question I will propose to you is, what are your reflections from the research thus far? Well, firstly, uh, Gabriel, uh, compliments of the season. And uh, as we uh, look ahead to the new year, we all, of course, uh, hope that uh, 2021 will be much better than uh, 2020 uh, yeah. has been. Um, now, uh, my uh, take on the research uh, um, that underpins the AFCFTA, I think uh, that very solid work has been done uh, on this uh, initiative as an African uh, initiative. And uh, much of this work has been driven from within Africa itself. Yeah. Um, I think the case for um, the, the, the research making the case for the AFCFTA uh, was mainly led by, uh, by the UN Economic Commission for Africa. Um, there was a lot of skepticism initially uh, from other partners as to whether or not uh, uh, an AFCFTA is viable on the uh, African continent. Um, but the evidence spoke for itself, basically that uh, in a nutshell, that when Africa exports um, uh, to the rest of the world, it exports mainly uh, commodities, uh, mm -hmm. raw materials. And uh, when it trades with itself, uh, although the overall level of trade is low, uh, but nonetheless, this curiosity that um, it trades mainly value-added products. 
Um, and uh, so uh, it's not rocket science uh, to look at this evidence and to say that, well, if this trade within Africa is um, going in the direction of uh, that we'd like to see the continent go, um, it's uh, generating development, it's generating jobs, it's uh, adding value to uh, products, then what can you do to uh, make sure that this trade can grow? Yeah. And then when you begin to look to see what you can do, you realize that there are many obstacles uh, on the continent that we need to remove, um, including that uh, somehow we are taxing our products that we are trading among ourselves higher than um, the taxes that we face when we trade outside the continent. Yep. So these taxes or tariffs need to be brought down. Average tariff in Africa is about 8%. Mm -hmm. When we trade outside uh, Africa, it's about 2%. So, you know, I mean, it's not, again, not rocket science that it needs to be brought down. Um, then, of course, uh, there are these uh, non, what we call in the jargon, non-tariff barriers. These are these um, uh, inefficiencies at the border, uh, customs, red tape, mm -hmm. uh, these sorts of things that why don't we try to get rid of these things, uh, which would help the trade, yeah. especially since uh, many of our traders are relatively small scale traders. Mm -hmm. And uh, it is by uh, creating the opportunities uh, for them by opening up that they would actually grow yeah. into larger scale traders. So again, mm -hmm. not rocket science that you need to do this. And then of course, uh, another area is the infrastructure, that um, the infrastructure that the continent largely inherited um, was uh, aimed at uh, facilitating trade outside of the continent. Yep. So whether it is railways or roads, it's uh, from the interior, you take out the raw materials to the coast and you ship them out. So it was not to connect the African countries uh, together. Um, and so uh, again, uh, that we need to do more on, on infrastructure, but um, it's not going to happen automatically. Infrastructure has its own logic, it has its own investment, etc. Yeah, and it's only uh, if um, it looks likely that that infrastructure will be used uh, in a way that makes it commercially viable that mm -hmm. infrastructure will be put in place. So it's a yeah. chicken and egg situation. Do you wait yeah. until you get infrastructure or do you begin this uh, to expand the trade among yourselves and then bring in the infrastructure? And by the way, the infrastructure itself. Yeah, uh, is an economic stimulus because it creates jobs. It uh, it has mul multiple uh, benefits. Yeah, uh, yeah. So in a, you know, so this basically is the research underpinning the AFCFT. I think is solid research. And uh, what is now interesting is that those who were skeptical at the beginning are now very much in favor of uh, what they see happening and uh, all falling over themselves to support it. I have not yet come across a single uh, critical study saying that the FCFT won't work. Mostly what they say is that all these problems that I've mentioned, NTBs, infrastructure, uh, implementation, that the countries actually implement the obligations that they're taking, that all these things need to be done. But I'm not seeing anyone saying that yeah. this isn't a good idea, this is not good, uh, et cetera. So the research from that point of view has been very solid. And so obviously from the research, we've looked at Qatar and they've, as a case of lessons learned, and they've implemented a, a few things. You spoke about infrastructure and they implemented a strategy vis-a-vis -vis infrastructure as well, um, underlining maybe three key points that they can use to for new sports and 
as a tool for advocacy. And so from that, how applicable do you think these lessons learnt um, from other regions, how applicable can they be for Africa in the implementation and the inclusion of the AFCFTA? Yeah, um, well, you know, I mean, sports is universal. Yeah. Uh, you know, everyone engages or loves uh, to watch or be part of uh, a sporting uh, event. And, uh, and even more so on the African continent. Uh, mm -hmm. As you know, um, it's a continent where uh, there's very strong passions around, uh, around sports, especially yeah. soccer, mm -hmm. uh, which is, um, I would say, is uh, the uh, probably uh, the continental game, yeah. <laughs> so to say. We're yeah. yet to win the World Cup, but uh, <laughs> all the same, uh, many of our exports uh, in the diaspora yeah. have won the World Cup. Uh, yeah. So um, we're all happy about that. Um, also, sports attracts young people. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think what uh, the AFCFTA is trying to do is really to open up opportunities now, but continuously uh, over the years to come. Yes. And um, so that automatically embraces young people because um, the AFCFTA is also futuristic in, in, in that sense. And indeed, um, if I could just drill this down to one or two country examples. Yeah, sure, please do. Um, what I am seeing, if you take a country like Sierra Leone, yeah. what I'm seeing is um, the government moving towards policy reforms that would include putting in place uh, special economic zones uh, uh, across the country. Um, in other words, um, uh, creating facilities uh, that um, entrepreneurs could use to process uh, mainly um, agricultural and food products, which is what Sierra Leone produces. Yeah. And um, who is demanding uh, these facilities? 20-somethings and 30-somethings, mm -hmm. very young people who are demanding facilities yeah. uh, to process these products and to be able to export more efficiently. Uh, and they're demanding um, other, again, infrastructure uh, that would um, ensure that they have the energy, that they, they have the roads, et cetera, that could connect them to uh, uh, markets and, and so on. So this is young, these are young people. And I've seen myself uh, proposals um, uh, that, you know, again, 20-somethings and 30-somethings are put together. Mm -hmm. um, that is very forward-looking. So these are, you know, this is all what you, young people are, are doing. Now, if you look at this in the context of um, uh, sports, uh, certainly, um, I think uh, reinforcing the message about the AFCFTA, reinforcing these sorts of examples um, through messages that appear um, uh, for advocacy in a sporting context um, reinforces what young people are, are trying to do. Um, I, probably my generation uh, were looking at getting government jobs or uh, uh, teaching in universities and things like that. Uh, but young people are not looking at that. You know, they're mainly looking at um, uh, how they can create their own businesses. And um, they do understand that uh, this is also how you generate wealth. 
so let, let me stop here. So I think the two go together. Oh, brilliant. Because even from the research that um, we are currently conducting, we've seen that um, from the member nations of the AFCFTA, 94% have a sports development policy and 59% have a youth sport program programming policy in place. And I guess as the more member nations have such policies, then it will become a bit more streamless in terms of the integration of engaging the youth and using sport as a tool to, you know, teach them innovation and entrepreneurship. Another question that I just want to touch on as well, you mentioned in terms of government involvement, right? How important is it for the AFCFTA member nations, uh, their governments and necessary bodies, how important is it for them to, I say align or um, play their part in reaching a similar outcome to what we see Qatar have done now? Um, you know, certainly I think uh, it's important to promote sports. Uh, I'm not quite sure that the Qatari model is the model to follow everywhere. Okay. Um, uh, they have their limitations in terms of population size, et cetera, yeah. and, uh, and so also invest uh, in other countries, as we know. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, um, uh, Qatar, for example, uh, owns Paris Saint Germain. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, among other uh, uh, sporting uh, 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 establishments and, and so on. Um, so I'm not quite sure that the Qatar example is the one to follow, but um, suddenly the emphasis puts on, that has been put on sports, I think goes hand in hand with um, uh, trade and development. Yeah. Um, I'd rather give you another context. Uh, maybe mm. if you look at North America or you look at Europe, uh, North America, yeah. as you know, basketball is, uh, is a big thing. And uh, it's, um, you know, perhaps again, just as soccer is in Africa, probably basketball in, in the US uh, and, and Canada uh, attracts a lot of people, et cetera. And um, uh, I think it reinforces the kind of economic integration that you have seen uh, because in the minds of people, um, you know, there are all these uh, teams that are uh, competing in the, uh, uh, in, in, in the um, NBA and, and, and all that. And um, it uh, just creates, uh, helps to create a sense of normalcy that um, underpinning the love of sports on both sides of the uh, border, uh, US Canada, uh, also all these commercial transactions that are going on. It, it, it just creates a psychological normalcy that um, this is the way to, to do it. And now today with COVID where um, there are problems uh, in actually having these games uh, being played and, and, and so on, everyone recognizes that it's an abnormal kind of situation. So, so I think to translate this, uh, and of course in Europe, uh, you see the, uh, the impact of uh, football and uh, soccer across the continent, the UEFA competition, et cetera, which also creates that normalcy uh, underpinning the economic um, integration and, and brings people together in a cultural, you know, through this cultural, uh, in a, that cultural sense uh, as well. So I think um, for the African continent, uh, you know, that's the model really uh, that um, uh, developing sports goes hand in hand with um, uh, this uh, integrating the continent, creating this sense of normalcy uh, that, you know, 
this kind of exchanges uh, between people is uh, is is, um, uh, is 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 correct and 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 uh, you know has this uh, aura uh, that um, people are all in it together that uh, today you lose tomorrow you win you know that that kind of thing so i think it it does um, provide that psychological backdrop for the integration uh, process yeah what you mentioned which was key <coughs> as well is um, maintaining the the african culture to this um, even from our research that we've, de- that we've done, we've seen previously maybe examples um, tailored towards the African continent, but it doesn't quite fit because each continent, especially Africa, has its own uniqueness in terms of culture relating to um, the inhabitants as well. So, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, true. Um, although what is common is that, um, you know, of course, sports bring, brings people together you yeah. know, in the same way as it does uh, everywhere. But you know, since you have raised culture, um, you know, music across the continent, as you know, is uh, something that's shared. Um, you know, whether it's originating from Senegal or Congo or Nigeria, you know, that love of that Afrobeat uh, is uh, something that is 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 shared. And we're also seeing the way that fashion, uh, you know, is um, is shared across the continent, different styles. Um, uh, we're seeing uh, uh, also, uh, we shouldn't forget the, um, uh, the, 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 the real phenomenal growth of the movie uh, industry uh, across the continent. Um, you know, myself uh, from time to time, I do watch Nollywood, I watch um, what is being offered uh, from Senegal, uh, from Ghana. Uh, South Africa, and um, and it's very interesting also to see that uh, various national characteristics emerge. I've often said that the South African movies tend to be more violent than the Nigerian movies uh, that uh, double in, uh, you know, whether it's uh, the other world and all these other things and, and uh, all sorts of fraudulent uh, conspiracies, etc. Uh, so you see all these uh, sort of differences, and you appreciate what they, uh, uh, the the continent as, uh, as 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 a whole. One final question to end on, just to get your opinions on the potential of the uh, AFCFTA agreement. Uh, no, I think uh, myself, I think it would have a huge impact. Um, that impact will not start on the first of January. Uh, it's going to take time uh, for it to be felt. But um, I think what will start on the 1st of January <laughs> is uh, that journey uh, towards uh, integrating the continent, towards um, uh, growing the trade between uh, countries. That, that one, I'm, I'm certain there is no re- there's not going to be any reversal to that process, because I think that dynamic is already um, uh, far gone, uh, far out of the stable block, if I could say so, and uh, the race is uh, on. I've seen myself the dynamism at the borders. Uh, not too long ago, I was at the um, Togo, uh, Ghana-Togo border, and I saw myself, you know, just um, the dynamism, the, uh, you know, the enthusiasm of people uh, wanting to get their goods across and, and so on. So um, I think, uh, you know, that is, uh, we can take that as a given. The challenge now is really to implement what has been agreed is um, 
to make sure that these new rules that we are putting in place to open up the trading space, that we actually do that. Uh, we don't have um, uh, you know, a drag uh, on, on, on that process. Uh, and I say this because I know that implementation is not always the strongest suit uh, of our continent, but nonetheless, I think uh, by um, hammering this point uh, over and over and over that uh, that's the key challenge, I think we'll see uh, the kind of um, movement that we want to see. Brilliant. Well, David Luke, thank you so much for your time. And thank it's been you amazing. Too. Thank uh, you so much. And uh, a happy new year to you. Same to you. Thank you. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the uh, second segment of uh, this episode of the series. Um, and yeah, it's great to have uh, Dr. Gerard Akindes with us and Dr. Daniel Kelly. How are you guys doing, both of you? Very good. Uh, doing very well. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Brilliant, brilliant. Thank you for attending. Um, and as I mentioned at the beginning, uh, Dr. Kelly is the principal lead on the research that we're doing. And Dr. Gerard has a great, well, they both have a great amount of knowledge um, on Qatar and Africa respectively from their work. And before we, before we go into a deep dive, um, let me just give you a, an extract, right, from uh, the research that we are doing. Um, by the time you listen to this, it's still in um, the process of being completed. Just to give you guys a bit of a uh, background. So the focus of this research analysis is to use sport advocacy in the country of Qatar as a benchmark for comparison to the member nations of the AFCFTA. Um, the UN has endorsed the use of sport as a development instrument for peace and security. Now, Qatar's national development strategies have provided a blueprint for sport advocacy on a global scale. This is evidenced by Qatar hosting the 2022 uh, FIFA World Cup. Um, the African continent of free trade area provides an opportunity for sport to serve as a unifier of efforts among the member nations in a consolidated effort to support regional cooperation, boost inter-Africa trade, and improve peace and security on the continent. And now Qatar's national strategies identified three developmental outcomes for successful sports advocacy. The first one being greater community participation in sports and physical activity. The second one being improved and integrated planning for community and elite sports facilities. And lastly, um, advanced sports towards excellence. So in consideration of sports facilities and investment in a relatively short time, We've all seen that Qatar have had uh, great advancements in sports facilities um, and in the, the MENA region, Middle East and North Africa region. And according to the Ministry of Development and Planning in Qatar, uh, the country currently has 320 facilities in its sports portfolio. That's incredible for the size of the country, really incredible. Um, the first major international event <clears throat> that they host that was hosted by Qatar was the, was the 2006 Asian Games which played the major role in a global presence of the country. Winning the bid for the 2022 World Cup has been a great achievement for the country. <clears throat> and so that's more so for our viewers just to, you know, set the tone and give them a bit of a background and understanding. And we will go into a deep dive, but I guess from your perspectives, and I guess we'll probably start with Dr. Gerard with this. So before Qatar brought in, had this idea about using sports advocacy, what was the state of Qatar like before so? And how was it seen in the international and domestic market as well? Uh, that's a tough question. I'm not historian, but uh, <laughs> what, I, what I know 
it's uh, Qatar wasn't known, but I wasn't on the map. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, for long, if you say Qatar, uh, people don't, they have no idea that it's a country that exists. Uh, and really, what really put Qatar on the map, I'll say it's a World Cup. Yeah. Winning the B made a big difference in setting up and putting up Qatar on the on the map because uh, it is FIFA World Cup. Mm -hmm. FIFA World Cup, there's nothing except the Olympics, nothing like uh, the FIFA World Cup has a global resonance and has a global, uh, uh, people can relate to it globally. Yeah. And that really what put Qatar on the map it wasn't uh, the Asian games, if you are sport, if you follow sport, yes. All the world championships, if you follow some disciplines, yes. But the FIFA World Cup, really, that's the most, by far, the most impactful uh, event that put Qatar on the map. Otherwise, before that, Qatar wasn't there yet. And also, uh, the development of Qatar happened in the past. When I say development, it's more what we see today. Mm -hmm. Infrastructure or towers, road, all these things happen very fast for the past 15, 20 years. Yeah. It's a young nation. It's a very young nation. Indeed, yeah. indeed. I guess, Dr. K, do you have anything that you want to add to on that regarding the perception of uh, Qatar before we know Qatar to what it is now? Yeah, I think um, one of the, the major components of Qatar in the early days, and I, I don't want to say early, let's, let's go back about 11 years ago was the, um, the launch in, in 2009 of the, um, the Think campaign, which was you know, a, a very, very prominent role of Qatar trying to introduce themselves to the world. And then this was of course before the April 2010 um, announcement that Qatar won the, the World Cup bid for 2022. And so I think Qatar have, have been planning from the Asian games to, to introduce themselves to the world and to, to showcase that you know, they are a, a major player when it comes to not only athletics, but also the, the energy industries. And, and I think the, the winning of the FIFA World Cup bid kind of, you know, fast-tracked, as, as Dr. Gerard pointed out, it fast-tracked over the course of the past 10 years and 15 years, the increases in facilities, the increases in, in developments and in investments in infrastructure and the overall overhaul of the of the change for the country. And so I think the, you know, the, the, the use of Qatar as an example really does give us for the AFCFTA research um, a stable foundation of the, the, the highest caliber of what it could be if the AFCFTA is able to, to galvanize the, the resources for Africa, for the different member nations to, to it's good to have a benchmark yeah. to see how, if the resources are abundant and it's almost like a best case scenario. If the funding is there, the, the economies of scale are there and you know all of the, the human, financial and physical resources are available, this is what it could be. And so you know, we're using Qatar as more of a best case scenario for the possibilities. And you know, throughout this, this podcast today, we'll get a chance to take a deeper dive into those notions. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I know with the three of us sitting here, um, we are all very aware of it. You mentioned the World Cup and theoretically just putting it on a, on a different stage of global scale in terms of um, using sport as a tool for advocacy. But why, if we can underpin why sport has the ability to do that, um, 
literally move a na nation or shift a nation per, uh, perspective um, in the use of uh, major events or local tournaments? Why is sport so unique? Because we mentioned before Qatar, they have natural resources. So, so do many nations in the AFCFTA. But why is it that sports is quite different in a sense? Dr. Kelly? You know, one of the major things about sport is that it, it's a unifier of people. You know, it provides a, a, a common acceptance. It's, it's, a, it's a social aspect of, of a building community. And, you know, especially with the African nations and, and the prominence of many of the nations in sports, it, it's a unifier. And so it's, it's the one way we can guarantee that everyone's going to be on the same page, working towards the same goal. And, you know, using you know, Qatar, as an example, you know, sport as a unifier. Um, within the Arabic, you know, um, history and culture, the, 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 the Sidra tree story is a, is a very prominent story in the Arab world. And it speaks about the Sidra tree, which is a very prominent um, component of the Qatar Foundation. And it's, it talks about the roots bound in the soil and the branches reaching upwards towards perfection. And it's a symbol of solidarity and bringing the people together. And they're using sport as a, as a, as a symbolism to, to, to branch out and, and, and bridge and build bridges to the Arab world. And I think if we use that same example from the Sidra tree story, it transfers readily to the AFCFTA and, and our research and the initiatives to use sport as a unifier of people, to use, to use sport as a way to, to build bridges amongst the African nations towards the goal of, you know, of unity, of expansion, of consolidating resources. And, you know, we'll, we'll get into it later with some of the work that, um, that Gerard and I have done and some of the initiatives that are going on in Qatar at this current time. But I think, you know, the, the opportunity to use sport as a foundation for building bridges and, you know, more importantly, keeping African dollars in Africa, you know, as far as rebuilding the nation and, and building towards, you know, maximizing the opportunities for African nations. And then you, you'll see how this is happening currently in Qatar and will set the foundation for the future. Oh, brilliant. Dr. Gerard, do you have any notes on that as well? Uh, just to add to it, it uh, uh, sport has a, a dimension that you have a national dimension and uh, how it creates a national identity and can, everybody can rally around a, a nation when a nation is playing. And that is unique. Nothing does it. Yeah. Nothing can do it except war, uh, wars. In some cases, that's a, a worst case scenario. But in general, sport has that capacity. And, uh, and if we move from Qatar to the African context, historically, uh, the post-colonial era of Africa was built on sport. Yes. Uh, African nations were, were defined first by their uh, participation in uh, international competition. And also to build, uh, to Kind of fight apartheid sport was also a very strong component it doesn't look like it but probably a very strong tool against apartheid yeah and and that also unified africa to fight apartheid that was through sport and when south africa came out of apartheid sport also played a role of bringing the whole nation together then it's a i won't say it, it solved all the problems in the nation 
but it has that unique capacity to bring people together around a, a, a unique or defined identity. And I, I don't know anything that has that capacity. That mm. Well, no, honestly, that's a great example that you used um, in terms of sports unifier. Because another aspect that I want to get your opinions on is um, that unifier aspect in itself. So obviously Qatar is part of the GCC, which Dr. Gerard kindly informed me meant the Golf Corporation Council. Um, so obviously they had their sport, their sports advocacy strategy, but thinking wider with the AFCFTA, which is 54 member nations, right? How mm -hmm. can that unified aspect be implemented um, like in a cross-border uh, capacity? Do you guys have any experience on how that can be implemented? I do. I, I have a preliminary idea. I think um, one of the, you know, you just mentioned the GCC, which is a perfect example. You know, <clears throat> it shows the differences and the, you know, what is needed because you need a national vision. You need to have something to look forward to that is building towards different resources being put towards this achievement. And so, <clears throat> excuse me. And so one of the best parts of this is that Qatar has a national vision for 2030, which shows, you know, the different uh, pillars and goals towards what they would define as success. And I think, you know, for the AFCFTA, for the 54 member nations, you know, there needs to be a, a conversation of, of how this should look, especially if sport is going to be a unifier of people. And what would and how would they define success for the next 10 years? or nine years actually. So I think, you know, if, if you choose 2030 as a, as, a, as a benchmark goal and the AFCFTA has an opportunity to, to build towards that goal, um, for the Qatar national vision, it has four pillars. And so there's, there's efforts towards um, increases in human capacity, there's the social aspects, the economical aspects, as well as the environmental. And so you're seeing how they have an emphasis on what it should look like for success for people what it should look for as far as success for the earth, for their most mutual economies, what it should look for as far as success for the social dynamics, and then what it should look for as far as environmental with sustainability. And so, you know, being able to articulate what success looks like for the future, I think is gonna be the goal for the AFCFTA. I believe sports should be prominent. You know, as we'll see with Qatar, sport is prominent in the success and the, um, achievement of what success should look like for their vision. And I think, you know, moving forward, you know, what we're doing with this, this research is we're establishing the importance of sports advocacy, the, the importance of mentorship in sport, the importance of an investment in sports technology, an investment in athletes with, with disabilities and Paralympics. And we're giving all these, and especially, and also women in sport as well. I don't want to forget the women as well, <laughs> but just making sure that we hit on all the major aspects of where there are areas that sport can be a unifier of people. And I think in the end, getting the leadership of the AFCFTA to articulate what that looks like for Africa, for Africans. It's going to be the goal. Yeah, well said, Dr. Gerard. Any thoughts on that? Oh, I think it's uh, for it to work. And uh, sport is uh, it's a human activity. It's a human activity, and because it's a, it's a human activity, it kind of touches on almost everything in a society. Everything, 
if you put sport, you want to look at it, you want to look at it very uh, with uh, a vision. All sectors, just a society can be addressed or can touch sport. Ed education, health, uh, uh, infrastructure, uh, everything. Because it's human, it's a human who is active. And for a human to be active, everything else has to be working properly. And that ability to uh, become a catalyst for development, that's what's going to make a big difference if the leaders of the AFCFTA uh, really look at it inclusively and uh, holistically. And that will make a difference. And invest in the human, not just in trade, because trade is like, it's a human activity. What makes the trade? What makes the trade better? What do we produce on the continent? There's so many things, but put the human being as the core. Women, youth, people with disability, everybody. I think, and then the traction and the movement will, will happen mm. organically and, and naturally. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, definitely. I, I, um, you know, Gerard and I have a have a history. We go back many, many years. Um, I want to, to, to ask him to provide a bit more detail about the Qatar innovation community. This is something that he was working on years ago, and he, um, I, I was hopeful to get a chance to to work on it as well, but that that didn't come to fruition. But, um, the the Qatar innovation community is was launched by the Supreme Committee for Delivery and Legacy. Um, called the SC in collaboration with the Ministry of Transport and Communications in Qatar, the Qatar Science Technology Park, and Oridu, which is the um, official national, um, you know, telecommunication service. Um, the Qatar innovation community works with 20 national international organizations in an effort to accelerate innovation across Qatar and create solutions for the FIFA World Cup and beyond. Um, this type of of innovative community is like a knowledge hub that I've worked on with different organizations like the FC Barcelona, Barcelona Innovation Hub. And, you know, when I saw that Qatar was, was building their own innovation community, I knew they were onto something. And I think, you know, especially when you have an innovation community that is tied to sport, which in this case was the FIFA World Cup, I think you have an advantage to really um, put the, the muscle behind your efforts, as we say in the US, or to put the, you know, more clarity and more funding and more resources towards getting the job done. And so I want to kind of get some some background from Dr. Gerard about his take on the on the viability of the Qatar innovation community. Um, I was, uh, I'll say more a passive member of the innovation community. I attended some of the activities, uh, but it was a, to put it in context, it was part of what Qatar was trying to do to uh, leverage the World Cup. And innovation was important and it was part of it. And there's another more systematic uh, legacy program that was around innovation, Challenge 2020, Challenge 22. Uh, to stimulate creativity and innovation in the region. But the innovation community, uh, it, it was very interesting. It brought almost uh, everybody in, in Qatar involved in 
innovation, trying to do things differently, trying to improve the technology, trying to improve uh, transportation. There are so many aspects. And it was very uh, interdisciplinary mm -hmm. and, and very uh, inclusive in the sense that all the disciplines from technology to social science to health were involved in this project and they are still involved in the project. It was a community to leverage really uh, the World Cup to stimulate in innovation. And I think they have also, they have uh, started a sport tech. Uh, oh, I think uh, it's more, in a, it's more a kind of incubator mm -hmm. about sports. Then all this element was, is to use the opportunity that uh, the World Cup is given to the country to innovate, to create a more knowledge-based uh, industry or society and uh, stimulate innovation in uh, universities in uh, many different aspects. Because when we look at the components of the innovation communities, people come, uh, organizations come from different areas. And that was a very fascinating way of creating innovation through engaging the community through uh, interaction between people who normally shouldn't be meeting if they stay in their, in their circles. Yeah, I think that was that was one of the, the major things that, that kind of emerged from the research from from Gabriel and I when we were working on the project with with Faz Holdenelli. You know, we really saw that these these emerging themes were happening from the research, and we we noticed that you know technology seemed to be lacking. You know, especially an in investment in the technology hub across the uh, the African nations, and and that that was an opportunity that we saw with the the QIC, the Qatar Innovation Community as something that could be used as a benchmark for us to kind of really advocate for the, the use of, a, of an innovation community or innovation hub focused on sport, you know, combining those two things, sports and technology towards, you know, building. And I, th I think you, you kind of nailed it when you said, you know, it, it really built on in inclusion. You know, the one of the things I liked about the QIC the most was that they really focused on getting, uh, stakeholders from Qatar on the same page to work together. And then from there, they would reach out to international and global partners once they knew what they had. And so from our research, we were seeing that the, the lack of solidarity and community from the African nations is allowing them to miss out on opportunities, whether it be in manufacturing or sporting goods or you know, opportunities to really build out import export systems and, and infrastructures. And so the, just to see that the, the possibility is there, but it just may take a consolidated effort to kind of keep the African dollars in Africa. And so the, the Qatar innovation community really served as a, a really good benchmark for what was needed as, as an action item almost. No, well said. No, definitely. Um, yeah, that is great knowledge even for myself regarding uh, the QIC and what they've been doing. And again, lessons learned that can be taking from that model to a more applicable one for the continent. And I guess regarding the research that's uh, still currently in progress, uh, you mentioned that they're Dr. Kelly in terms of um, cooperation amongst regions and the use of innovation and knowledge sharing to say. Um, what other, some of your reflections from the research thus far, had there been any other maybe standout points that have surprised you that um, is already in place amongst the member nations, or maybe specific areas um, that can still 
course, like you just mentioned, what other areas that still need to be uh, fed into as well? Yeah, I think right away, two that that really stood out to me were the the emphasis on cycling as as a as a major industry. I I saw that that could be it's a sport that really could add value because it it translates well to guitar. Um, there's many case studies that I've worked on where you know cycling events in Qatar have found success, and so you know being able to use those models to to bring over to see the success in Qatar, the, the way they were able to use the funding and they were able to to establish you know um, national races, which which is the same thing that's happening in, in in different nations like Kenya, for example, and Rwanda, and so you know to be able to see the the, the commonality between what's happening in African member nations in comparison to what's happening in Qatar. And then um, the next one that, that really stood out to me was the media, you know, the, the opportunities for media with football. I think, um, you know, there's, there's just a lot of comparisons between the two countries and a lot of opportunities for best practices. And to, to a certain extent, I would say the African member nations are actually ahead of, of, of what's happening in Qatar. And so there could even be a knowledge exchange of of um, best practices from African nations that could be applied to, you know, what's missing in Qatar when it comes to, to broadcasting their, their, their sporting events. And so, you know, it, it doesn't always have to be a lessons learned one way. I think, you know, it could be lessons learned on both sides because there are things in Africa that probably don't get enough attention about, you know, how successful they are. And they, they're probably light years ahead of what's happening in Qatar because as Dr. Gerard pointed out, Qatar is a very young nation that is really still figuring it out. They're still figuring it out and making the mistakes that as they build towards 2022. But the thing is, is that the learning curve is, is pretty short because they have to really come to a professional level in about a year and a half. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, it's going to be interesting to see the, the, the risks they take and the moves they take between now and November of 2022. No, I agree. Even, even for myself, one of the um, just things that stood out to me was what's already in place on the continent, right? Mm -hmm. So we've seen that, what, 94% of the member nations within the AFCFTA have a sports development, sports development policy already mm -hmm. in place as well, which is, I mean, it's probably unknown to many nations or even individuals. Maybe even their neighboring nations may not be aware of that as well. So if we do get that I don't know, QIC-esque or just a corporation for everyone to be on the same page, then that will be great. Yeah, I actually have a comment for that. So you're right. So 94% of the, the African uh, countries have a sport development grassroots effort or policy. And so, you know, you're right. The, the bottom line is, is like they're operating, of course, as, as 54 different countries, which they should in different countries. But imagine if they consolidated those efforts and they could actually you know, share resources or even share a vision of what it should look like. And, you know, there's a saying in the US that the rising tide raises all boats, you know? So I think, um, you know, based on that, that notion of if they could follow a benchmark and they could all collaborate and work together, you know, even if it's just sports development, being on the same page, since they're already essentially all doing sports development, if they were sharing their resources, then sport development could be a way to raise the bar for everyone. Because while they are doing it, they're not doing it at the same level. You know, when it comes to, to basketball in Angola, I mean, there's a reason why they're the best because they have invested in it and they've invested in it to a, a larger extent more than 
other other nations. And so like like soccer in Nigeria is a, is a different level. And so every country has developed uh, a, a different taste for different sports and a different investment in different sports. And so, you know, imagine if they could share their resources on what has worked for basketball Angola for, you know, soccer in Egypt or soccer in Nigeria, and they all could have the opportunity to see what it takes to compete at that level, then the rising tide would raise the expectation of all and increase the output of all. And then of course that impacts, you know, international competitions with FIFA, qualifications for the World Cup. Yep. It, it boosts the profile and, and the money coming into Africa yep. and it boosts opportunities. And so, you know, the, what the research is bringing to light is, is that it's, it's really putting everyone on, a, on, on notice. It's saying, hey, you're, you're doing it. Did you know that everyone else is doing it as well? Exactly. Or you're not doing it and guess what? No one else is doing it either. So there's an opportunity for you to work together. And so I think, you know, one of the most fun parts of this research was that it brought things to light. Yep. Yeah, it allowed for us to see where the gaps were, where the opportunities were for collaboration. And if grassroots sports programming is actually already, you know, happening, if you knew about it, everyone everyone knew about it, then they could work together and the rising tide would raise all the boats. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Um, and I guess, I guess just to wrap off, I guess um, our final thoughts, um, I'll start with um, you, Dr. Gerard. Just our, I guess, final thought in terms of for sport to actually really be used um, to help the growth of the AFCFTA, um, what do you reckon is, I guess, the first thing that needs to be implemented and how would you like to see the state of affairs regarding this, this uh, area and regarding sports? That's a tough question. <laughs> uh, well, yes, uh, from my own understanding of what I've learned about the continent, I think uh, they all have uh, sport development policy yeah. or strategy. Uh, uh, but I, I, I still believe that enough needs to be done mm -hmm. to kind of evaluate this uh, policy. Are they coherent? Are they aligned with what the country is or what the country can do or not do? Or are they just a document? Uh, and that needs a little bit of clarity and the other thing is uh when we look at the continent not all countries are equal mm. in terms of sport and in, in terms of sport de and development there's a huge gap between north africa and most of the sub-saharan africa and south africa and the rest of the continent and why why do we have these gaps is it just uh, resources is it policy, is it government, is all these things have to be a little bit more clear. Because uh, countries with more resources are not doing much better than countries with less resources. What means that it's not only about that. Then the AFCFTA, it needs to understand what will really stimulate sport and the economy. Yeah, that's like something you. that you have the state of the, 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 the continent, yeah. but now why is it like that? Why do we have so few uh, people 
trained to be coaches, to be coaches at different levels. Why do we have so few people uh, in uh, athletic, uh, how do you call it, in sport medicine? All these elements, we need to understand why. And there, there are other aspects. Why do we, can we not have correct facilities, proper facilities? I'm not talking about stadium, mm -hmm. just a pitch, a simple pitch to play football, how come most of them are not functional? Is it money? Is it knowledge? Yeah. Uh, see, all these elements are very important to understand. And then evaluate where the priorities are, because there's room really to have an economic uh, uh, capacity built on sport. Because if we can have engineering around some of the elements we supply for sport, that engineering is going to work for many other aspects in the society. And we have some schools who have uh, engineering. Uh, there's so many things that can be used from what already exists, being developed to support sports and be scaled because the scaling is also a challenge on the continent. A country like Togo or Benin, they cannot develop a market. Too small. But if they can uh, partner to scale what they do, that will be much easier. And the continent sport needs a major, Nigeria is a beast by itself, but the rest of the country, most of them cannot mm. develop an industry in the current state of the, their business in terms of sport. Then if there's no partnership, there's no uh, collective uh, research uh, institute, all these elements, that's where the, the development will happen. And okay. I, it's, it's possible, the potential is there. I yeah. still believe, and when I talk about potential, I'm not talking about minerals or, or oil. The potential for me, it is uh, the people yeah. of the continent. Without much investment, uh, we always see some special people coming out of nowhere. No, it's well said. It, yeah. Imagine if there's a little bit of more investment, what a systematic investment, what it will be. So yeah, that's Kenny. I um, just want to get your final thoughts on the research and your thoughts on how sports can be used as a tool within the AFCFTA. Yeah, I think following up in what Dr. Kindis, you know, pointed out about the the, the opportunities in Africa, I, I definitely wanted to to, to highlight that. Um, that FIFA as an organization has invested heavily in women in sport, you know, even as, as to go as far as to provide funding for, for women's sports programs in Djibouti, Cameroon, uh, Burundi and Mauritania. And so, you know, these types of opportunities to have sponsored um, resources for, for women in sport, women programming, leadership programming, through their Soccer Without Borders program has been has been a great aspect of what we found in the research. And I think, you know, as, as more nations, as, as Dr. Gerard pointed out, you know, between, you know, um, Sub-Saharan and, and Northern Saharan, and um, of course, you know, different countries having different levels of resources and different aspects. I think FIFA has, has been, has played a major role in trying to I wouldn't say level the playing field, but just provide opportunities and outlets for, for women in sport. And I think what, what needs to happen is that, you know, FIFA is providing more of a, of a, of a teaser, it's providing more of a, of a spark 
But I think to, to maintain that, that same level of consistency, you know, of an organization like the AFCFTA, you know, has an opportunity to be able to use women's sport as, as a platform. And because uh, an external source like FIFA has provided opportunities, but, that, but it's not enough. And so I think, you know, to use the AFCFTA as, as a platform around, you know, sports advocacy, but more importantly, women's sports advocacy could be a, a major determinant in the success of women's sports as they seek to, to find more opportunities to, to build out the lives of, the, of women in, in the African continent. And so I just wanted to, you know, make sure that that was highlighted because I think, you know, sometimes we, we see these one-off opportunities, as we say in the U.S., you know, these one-off opportunities are, you know, a, a program here or there every couple of years. And I think what's missing is the consistency. And so the consistency of funding, the consistency of opportunities, and the AFCFTA has an opportunity to establish a, a clear and concise vision um, for how, you know, sports advocacy, women in sports, sports technology can all be used together as a, as a galvanizing effort to, to bring solidarity to the African member nations as they seek to, to find success for the future. And, you know, this could lead to increases in manufacturing with sporting goods, manufacturing as an industry for import-export. It could lead to, to opportunities for, for women's empowerment. It could lead to opportunities for youth advocacy and, 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 um, and in the different aspects of what it would take to, to put the African member nations on a level footing when it comes to, to major global mega events and, and, the, and the bidding processes. And so, you know, just to kind of, you know, consolidate and to summarize what we've gone through so far, I think the, the opportunities are there, but I think more so than just doing a one-off opportunity, we need consistency, so, yeah. No. <clears throat> Well, well said. I mean, the two of you have summed up brilliantly already. Um, I think overall strategies are needed, coherent strategies are needed that um, engage other member nations as well um, to help build a more sustainable and create a pathway that actually allows sports to help uh, unify individuals, um, nations, and ultimately bring trade um, amongst this area, right? We've seen the use of major events, we spoke about Qatar. We even see, for example, with uh, South Africa World Cup 2010 bid as well, or when they hosted the 2010 World Cup, um, the importance that sport can do, not just for individuals, and but especially the economy, right? You bring in partnerships, you bring in employment, or to boost inter-Africa trade, and that will keep the money circulating within the AFCFTA, which is a key factor for them. But yeah, it takes strategy, it takes thinking long-term, and it takes a collaboration to get there, and I'm sure it will. But once again, Dr. Kelly, Dr. Gerard, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Um, and for those of you listening as well, thank you so much. Um, as I mentioned at the beginning, please um, yeah, follow us on social media and likewise with UNECA as well. And then once um, our research is ready to be public, well, we've got two actually, once both are ready to be public, then um, yeah, you'll be first to see it there and be able to download it and digest it um, as you will. But thanks you once again for listening and we'll see you on next episode. So take care.